church family. I am so glad that you are worshiping with us this morning. We are so excited to be worshiping in person starting June 27. Um, you might have already gotten information about that in your email or seen it on Facebook or Instagram. Um, we'll have more information in the coming weeks about how that's actually going to look, um, the logistics on that, how you can register to come to a worship service as we're keeping our worship sizes smaller. So be on the lookout for that. If you are not getting our newsletter or our emails, you can go to MarietaAdventist.org, scroll to the bottom of the page, and sign up for our emails. We also want to thank those of you who continue to give generously to your church. There are three ways that you can give. You can go to MarietaAdventist.org, click on the Give tab. You can give from your phone through the Adventist Giving app, or you can mail in a check to the church. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired by the music and the sermon today. Have a great day. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Today might feel somber for many. While you probably have many thoughts running through your head about a variety of topics from corona to riots to finances to kids to what's happening around the world around you. And I hope that you can savor these next few moments focusing on Jesus and his calling in your life. There's so much going on right now that it's hard to just disconnect. I saw a tweet from a girl named Aaliyah where she described me pretty well and I bet she describes you too as she says, Torn between needing to stay present and connected so that I know exactly what's going on and needing to unplug to catch my breath because I'm extremely overwhelmed. And if that's you, then you're in the right place and you're not alone. Hey, I can't wait for us all to be together very soon. I can't wait for June 27th where we get to worship together at the same time. But for now, we get to worship virtually. And today, during this message, there are some intentional moments for you to interact with each other as a church family virtually. And if you're watching on Facebook, there will be opportunities to answer questions in the comment section. And while I have a mixture of emotions happening inside me today, I'm hoping and praying that as we look at the words of Jesus, that your heart and my heart will be brought to a place that sees others in a different light, in a light that gives the benefit of the doubt. As you listen today, I invite you to Find yourself in the story. There's many characters. There's many different people. There are many different stories. And which one are you? And what is God trying to say to you today? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, this morning as we open your word, as we think about Jesus' words, may we understand what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The very first year that I was pastoring as an intern in Greenville, Tennessee, I took the youth of our church on a canoe trip. Where we lived in Greenville, the Nolichucky River, it weaves and winds and twists and turns through the countryside and landscape till it gets to the Davy Crockett Dam. It's a dam that was built in the 1940s and was used as a hydroelectric plant for the Tennessee Valley Authority. And here's a picture of the dam. Now I've got several good memories from this spot, like hiking around it as a kid, to sitting in the car with my dad on the first day of school as we sat there and prayed. And it's at the bottom of this dam that I took 25 plus youth and adult sponsors on a canoe trip. We all gathered with canoes and kayaks and life jackets and sunscreen to load up in our boats and hit the water. Now the river flows pretty peacefully for several miles to the point where we were going to take out at Kloss Svensson's house. He had some property right on the river and there was a place to swim and a fire pit and it was a great spot to finish our trip. And we had an absolute blast. The summer sun was beating down on us. 
everyone was laughing and having fun. There were uh, lots of young people, including three young men, Nicholas Gudger, Timothy Uliano, and TJ Culler, that all decided to ride in the same canoe. Now, let me tell you about these canoes. I had put the word out in our church for anyone that had canoes to let me know. And so I drove around Greenville with a trailer, picking up people's canoes so that we'd have enough to go on this trip. I had a bunch of borrowed canoes, and it just so happens that the three young men had the nicest canoe of all. It was an old town canoe that was in perfect condition, a, a rich forest green color. And as we floated down the river, we came to several spots that were rather shallow, it was shallow enough that many of us were dragging the bottom of our canoes on the rocks and sticks and on the bottom of the river. Well, we finally made it to our takeout point where we pulled all the canoes up on the bank and enjoyed some swimming and some worship. I loaded all the canoes onto the trailer, and the next day I began schlepping them around Greenville to the various destinations. There was one canoe, however, that belonged to Ed Bermudez. He was the church treasurer, and he was the really nice guy that let us use his beautiful old town forest green canoe that the three guys had used. He told me, he said, hey, Matt, I'll just pick it up from your house rather than you driving all the way to my house to give it back to him. And sure enough, we st he stopped at my house the very next day. And as we walked over to where the canoe was, I told him, hey, thanks, Ed, for letting us borrow your canoe. It was so nice. The guys really enjoyed it. There may be a few scratches on the bottom from rocks, but there aren't any holes. And as soon as I had said those words, I looked down at the canoe, and there was a giant hole that I could put my hand through. Where did that come from? How had I not seen that? And how awkward was it that I just told him that there weren't any holes at all? And what was he thinking? Do you think I was a liar? Do you think I was trying to cover it up? And so I said, oh no, Ed, where did this come from? I'm just seeing this now. And as I looked at Ed and told him that I would go and get it fixed, he looked back at me and he said, it's no problem. He had given me the benefit of the doubt that I really didn't know that there was a giant hole in the bottom of his boat. And it felt so good that he trusted me enough to give it to me, to believe the best about me, to believe that I had his best interest in mind, to believe that I wasn't out to get him. All too often, we don't give the benefit of the doubt. All too often, we assume just the opposite, that everyone is out to get us that you can't trust anyone, that everyone has bad motives and wants to cause harm. And while I don't believe it's wise to give blind trust to everyone that you meet, there's a principle here that lives at the core of being a disciple of Jesus. And it's giving others the benefit of the doubt. For the next 30 seconds, answer this question in the comment section or, or talk about it with those that you're watching with. When has someone given you the benefit of the doubt? The words of Jesus give us a clear picture of what giving others the benefit of the doubt looks like. 
And while I realize how hard it is to do this, if it's not the first thing that comes to your mind in every situation, then there's room for you to grow as a Christian and a disciple. And it's the hardest thing to do when you feel personally attacked or when you are offended or when you disagree. But as we look at the words of Jesus this morning, he gives the benefit of the doubt in the midst of the most humbling experience any human has ever experienced. In the story that the entire Bible revolves around, the story of redemption, where a God becomes human in order to save people from sin, Jesus shows what a life submitted to the Father looks like. And here's the context for you. Jesus has already been betrayed and disowned by his closest friends, his disciples. He's already been on trial. He's been yelled at. He's been spit on. He's been whipped. He's been stripped naked for the whole world to see. He's been mocked and made fun of. If anyone had the right to be angry and against everyone else, it's him. And as the angry mob, people that are from all over, people that have problems in their own lives, people that hate the government, people that feel mistreated, people that aren't from the same city, people that aren't the same gender, people that aren't the same race, people that disagree on a lot of different topics and agendas. They come together and they surround Jesus with waving fists and shouts of hate as he stumbles along the Via Della Rosa, those cobbled streets of Jerusalem. Now, I've been on those streets. I've walked the Via Della Rosa, and those streets are small. In fact, here's a picture of one of the many streets in Jerusalem uh, as, as I visited. They're skinny, with walls on either sides, with slippery stone steps. And while our group of about 50 people was there, and as we were walking on the streets, it was difficult to pass anybody else. There isn't a lot of space when you get a few people in there. And I can only imagine what it was like as Jesus, with one end of the cross on his shoulder and the other end dragging behind him, makes his way down through tiny streets of Jerusalem to Golgotha, the place of the skull. The people press in tightly to him, as close as they can to get to him, to spit in his face and to slap and kick and punch him if they can. The centurions, the guards, the police officers of the day are stuck in the middle between protecting the condemned and joining in on the murderous procession themselves. And as the angry, rioting mob makes its way down the street, I can only imagine Jesus' response as he is abused and mistreated. He doesn't yell back. He doesn't spit. He doesn't wrinkle his face in anger. He silently suffers under the load of humanity's sin. And as he stumbles under the weight of the world, the guards grab a man, Simon, a strapping young fellow from Cyrene, a city in northern Africa. He's just a traveler. He's not really part of the crowd. He's a foreigner, not even from the same country or continent, but he's thrown into service and carries the load that no man should ever carry. Ellen White, one of my favorite commentators of the Bible, she shares insight on Simon as he carries the cross. She says, The beginning of bearing the cross to Calvary was a blessing to Simon, and he was ever after grateful for this providence. It led him to take upon himself the cross of Christ. And as Jesus and Simon the African stumble along the road, there's the sound of weeping. It's a group of women that are following Jesus. 
They've seen him for who he is. They know that in him is life. And they can't bear to see how he is being treated. They can't bear to see the wrong that is happening. Their hearts are broken as they see what society and culture is doing to him. And as they weep, Jesus, in the most loving way, pauses. He stops in the middle of the agony to consider someone else. He stops to think of others. He stops to think of their life, their experience, their struggle, their pain, and what they are going through. And I can't help but see the application from my life. And hopefully you can see it for yours too. Do you ever get so caught up with what is happening in your life that all you can see is yourself? And even though as Christians and disciples we are called to be others-centered and think you first, me second, do we slip into narcissism where we become navel-gazers and look only at ourselves and what we've got going on? Why is it that we become so desensitized to others when we've got tough stuff going on in our own lives? We assume the worst of others. We blame others. We point fingers at others. We decide that if anyone else is different than us, that we must be enemies and automatically assume that they are against us and therefore we are against them. And when we get this way, we never can think from their perspective. We never think about what's happening in their life. And we never give them the benefit of the doubt. And Jesus, whose ears are in tune with those that are hurting, he hears the cries of others. And even though he's in the most uh, midst of unbelievable pain and suffering, he pauses to speak to them. And he says in Luke chapter 23, verse 28, he says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Jesus thinks of others those that are in pain. He looks to the future, and I believe all the way into the, until today, where, we, where he tells humanity to not weep for him, but to weep for what the future looks like. A future that is so awful that no one wants to exist and even asks for the mountains to fall on them to end it all. And this morning, I know that a lot of you are hurting. You're hurting for many different reasons. For some, it might be because of loss in your family. For others, you're hurting because of health issues. For others, you're hurting because of the unbelievable struggle that is happening in our country at this moment. There's so much pain right now. And Jesus, he's listening. He hears you. He wants to hear you. And for the next 30 seconds, if you feel comfortable sharing, comment in the comment section, why are you hurting right now? The mob moves up to the rocky area on the side of the road and they begin the process of crucifying. They stretch Jesus across the cross and they pin him there like a trophy of their hatred. And as they drop the cross into the hole and Jesus' body shakes in searing pain, he doesn't yell words of hate. 
but instead he yells words of mercy. While he hangs there, he appeals on behalf of others, on the behalf of the enemy, on behalf of the ones that are wounding him, on behalf of the ones that hate him. And he says in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Are you kidding me? I feel like if any one of us were in his spot, we would be calling down curses and asking for eternal destruction for the people that hung us there. But not Jesus. He pleads their case. He gives them grace. And he gives them the benefit of the doubt. Father, they don't know what they are doing. They don't get it. Give them mercy. Let's show them grace. That's what giving the benefit of the doubt looks like. Giving grace. It's assuming the best for someone else. It's giving them credit for not knowing or not understanding. It's grace. If you've been to Costco lately, they're requiring you to wear masks. It's not optional, it's required. And the first time I went there, I didn't have a mask. And they had one to give it to me. But I've had several interesting experiences at Costco recently. Uh, just the other day, as I was walking in the parking lot towards the front door, uh, I met a woman who was coming the other way in the parking lot. It was one of those situations where we couldn't decide which side we were going to pass each other on. And I started one direction at the same time that she did. Then we switched and it turned into this awkward salsa dance with a stranger in the parking lot of Costco. And as we finally got it figured out and we're about to pass each other, I looked her in the eye and this is what I saw. I couldn't tell if she was smiling or if she was ticked off and was going to go key my truck. And it's then that I realized that she probably couldn't tell what I was thinking either. So I said, I'm smiling under this mask. To which she replied, ha, me too. The benefit of the doubt happens when we don't know, when we can't tell, when we aren't sure, and when you can't see. But giving the benefit of the doubt is what disciples of Jesus do. Disciples assume the best of others. Disciples give others credit for good. Disciples give grace before it's even needed. Disciples trust first. And when we give the benefit of the doubt, we mirror the heart of God who, even though he knows the end from the beginning, he sees the best in humanity and pleads our case, giving us the benefit of the doubt. And as I think about him giving me the benefit of the doubt, I can't help but fall more and more in love with him. What a gracious redeemer and savior he is. As you listen to this song, My Jesus, I Love Thee, I invite you to think of how he has given you the benefit of the doubt and shared his grace with you.
Jesus, the gracious Redeemer, the one that knows our sin, that knows our guilt, that knows how undeserving we are of the benefit of the doubt, He gives us grace and He pleads for our forgiveness. That's so powerful to me. It's like He puts His feet in our shoes to see what we are experiencing, to see what our lives look like, to see our perspective. And when He sees our view, He pleads for grace. On Wednesday morning last week, I got to the church pretty early, about 5 a.m. I like to get here early when my mind is fresh and when I can think clearly so that I can write my sermon. And as I drove up the hill, I passed a man that was walking. And when I drove into the parking lot, I saw something on the front yard of the church. And so I turned my truck around and I pointed the headlights towards it and it was a woman sleeping on the grass. She had a tarp on the grass and a jacket over her. And I parked my truck and got my bag and then went over to talk with them. The man had made it up here and was standing next to the woman lying on the ground. No one else was here. There's no school, so there would be no kids on the campus that day. I didn't see a safety issue at the immediate moment, so in the most gracious way I could, I said, Hey, good morning. Um, it's okay that you're here now, but when the sun comes up, you need to be on your way. And they said, Thanks. And I went inside. An hour and a half later, I looked outside to see if uh, they'd left because the sun was shining and I could see the sky. Well, the man had gone, but the woman was still lying on the ground sleeping. And at first, I wanted to go out there and say, Hey, I told you that you need to leave. But I did my best to give her the benefit of the doubt. I don't know her story. I don't know what she's experienced. I don't know what she has seen or what has been done to her. And as a homeless woman, I'm guessing she never gets really good sleep. Cars are always driving by. There's noises around her all the time. She's got to deal with the elements, heat, cold, rain. And as I saw her sleeping, I thought, maybe what she needs is just some good sleep. Maybe that would help her. Maybe that would encourage her. Maybe that would make a difference in her life. And so even though I'd asked her to leave, even though she wasn't following what I'd said, I decided to put myself in her shoes to see her perspective and to give her grace. I don't know which character you are in the story, the story of Jesus. Maybe you're Simon the Cyrene that lives under the weight of a burden placed on your back that you've carried your whole life? Who is it that you need to give the benefit of the doubt? Who is it that you need to give undeserved grace? Maybe you're the weeping woman that cries for the one that's burdened and being mistreated. Who is it that you need to give the benefit of the doubt? Who is it that you need to give undeserved grace? Maybe you're one of the centurions, the guards, the ones that are caught in the middle between enforcing the law or something that you believe and hurting for the one that is hurting. Who do you need to give the benefit of the doubt? Who is it that you need to give undeserved grace? Maybe you're just another voice in the crowd that is yelling that has a strong opinion on something. Who do you need to give the benefit of the doubt? 
Who is it that you need to give undeserved grace? Maybe you're struggling to find which character you are. You don't know where you stand. You don't really understand others' perspectives. And as you listen to this song, may you listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you, helping you know who to give the benefit of the doubt and who to give undeserved grace. I'm praying for you, church family.